Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, beloved listeners. We are here for Octavia's Parables where we are chapter by chapter making our way through the Parable of the Talents by Octavia E. Butler. We're on chapter 10 this week. I am your co-host, Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we always like to start off our show with announcements that are related to the realm of Octavia or the realm of us. Um, I will say I heard a rumor. I'm not sure if it's officially official yet, but I heard a rumor that the parable of the sower has been picked up um, for a film project and um, it's in very, very early stages, but I think that we might be heading towards having parable of the sower as a film project in the world soon. That'll be so I'm cool. nervous about I, it. I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, who, what, when, where, and why? I want to know it all. So <laughs> let the rumor spread. We want to yeah. know. Um, yes. Do you have news? Do you have things afoot? Yeah, I just illuminate these um, projects I'm doing. Um, uh, there's a, a beautiful EP with my Creative Futures residency at Carolina Performing Arts with uh, House of Pentacles. It, you can hear that on uh, soundcloud.com backslash probably House of Pentacles or do a search. But it's it's beautiful, a beautiful collection of um, of original songs that were created through these conversations and then basically ended up being a live jam. And then those that the, the live jam got mixed and this is the result is that you can hear this, this EP is really cool. And then um, I have my, the Long Water Song Project. That's really project. thrilling, Toshi. It's great. I'm so happy about it. It's, it's so cool. Really beautiful yeah. people creating, telling truths and yeah, please check that out. And then um, I have a long water song with Alexis Pauline Gums that's available for sale on bandcamp.com backslash Toshi Regan. And also you can hear for free on soundcloud.com backslash long water song. Thank you for all the creating you do, Toshi. Marvelous. So here we are, chapter 10. And... This is where we finally get to learn. <laughs> we finally get to learn Lauren's daughter's name, and we're caught up to like yes. who is this person anyway. So yes, um, bring us into chapter ten, love. I will bring you in, and I will just say it from the beginning, which is we meet Larkin, Beryl, Ife, Olamina, Bancoli, and so she is the okay. one who has been <laughs> yes been researching and on the journey to find herself through looking at her mother's work. And um, she starts off, well, I'll start with this earth seed verse from the books of the living. We can, each of us, do the impossible as long as we can convince ourselves that it has been done before. And Larkin is um, is is talking talking to us and talking about Talking about the para, the um, 
the Peralta family. Just actually really curious as to why they left and, and what was the meaningfulness in it. And and as she's like kind of pondering why did this family family leave, she's not at all shocked that Uncle Mark left. And she just can see how the two of them yeah. could not exist in the same place um, with their spiritual missions. So they are getting things done at Earthseed and they are you know, getting, she's very close to being born during this era. So she, like, we announced her, but she wasn't here yet. Um, but Acorn is doing very well. <laughs> Acorn <laughs> is doing really well. They bought another truck. Lauren is really writing about, like, how to expand Earthseed. She is very interested in people who um, would become Earthseed missionaries and going into communities She's interested in new Earthsea communities, and she's come up with these names. There's sunflower and almond and hazelnut and pine, and she's really seeing it as a very big, a very big and expansive part of life on this planet. And of course, with the destiny in mind to live amongst the stars, and um, and then she has that there. The community mm. should never be more than a few hundred people never more than a thousand. And if you get beyond that, you need to split up and get small again. She also makes this, you know, looks at her mom and says, my mother was not a fanciful woman apart from her belief in Ursie. That I think was why the people of Acorn um, trusted her so because she was practical and straightforward and fair and honest and she liked people. So they uh, end up coming into Friday, July, 22 2033 and this is when they say on july 20th as lauren alamina turns 24 she gives birth to her daughter larkin barrel ife olamina bancole and then there's a, a whole a whole lot of how she gets her names um barrel is the name of bancole's mother ife is the yoruba personal name we chose to get to give her because they all they all have Yoruba names. And um, then it's Olamina and Bancole. And what did she say about Larkin? It's the name of a songbird that neither Bancole nor I have ever seen or heard, mm -hmm. but whose voice we have read is beautiful. So she put that all of that out into, into the world as she gives birth to her first child. And Bancole is so happy like he is just beyond himself he loves his baby he is you know getting caught smiling and you know what being at peace a little bit <laughs> holding his child um we also learn about this community that yes. um ali gilchrist um has become a furniture maker gray and grayson and emory had a child which bancoli delivered into the world and um gray got had a beautiful chair rocking chair made for him and he's sitting in his rocking chair and holding his own child i would say that um they have a they have a ceremony welcoming larkin into the Ursea community and harry and zara stand and it's basically the ceremony that is where you just are like i'm here for this kid no matter what and they also have this, like, um, you know, yeah. you're not an aunt, yes. just an aunt. You're a change aunt or you're a change uncle. 
and change sister or change brother. So interesting. So they welcome they welcome yes. her into the community. And then the rest of the chapter is I think of realigning of Lauren and Ben Coley's relationship and where they're gonna go from here. It is the it is the like, I don't know if it's the final Halstead conversation, but it's the one that is like it's the Moment. yeah, we're putting yeah. everything on the on the table. You know, Ben Coley goes to do his his watch. Yes. The community is now having a 24-hour watch. So he goes to do his watch. He's very, very concerned. Halstead has a doctor, but they don't even know if this doctor is like a real doctor. Like he's somebody with some medical expertise, but he he is not he's not no Ben Coley. Mm-hmm. So there's another <laughs> You know, and Van Coley's like, you know, maybe he got like, yeah, maybe he got like halfway through school or, you know, like he's just like, something's off by that. So there's still an opportunity for them to go. So they're back at it. They're back at this, this, you know, where should we go? And, um, and of course, everything is deeper because now the child is here and they can see the child and they're, they're, they're happy about it. So he is just like, we got to get out of here. But he finally says, look, I need to understand. Like, I really need to understand what this is about for you. And I, and he does, he doesn't want to hear theology. He wants to hear like, what is her step-by-step plan? You know, and he so he makes this statement, which I think is right. so interesting. He says, um, it took me a long time to trust you. You seem so young, so vulnerable and idealistic, yet so dangerous and knowing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? So he says, talk to me, girl. Tell me exactly what yeah. you want to do. Tell me, I like, what is the plan is what he wants to know. Yes. Yeah, this really feeds back to what Larkin is saying at the beginning on an other chapter. Like, you know, we don't know what we're doing, really. Like, we just doing what we think is in front of us. And we're, yeah. you know, so she has to really think about it. Just, I'm not sure that I do. I don't I don't know if I know. But she takes a deep breath. Yeah. And um, and she starts to get into it. I want what's happening. I want us to go on growing, become stronger, richer educating ourselves and our children, improving our community. These are the things that we should be doing for now and for the near future. As we grow, I want us to to send our best, brightest kids to college and to professional schools so that they can help us in in the long run, help the country, help the world to prepare for the destiny. At the the same time, I want to send uh, out our believers who are mission have missionary inclinations, send them in family groups to begin earth seed gathering houses and non earth seed communities. She, she goes on and on. She's just like, it's, she's rolling with it. And yes. it's really, um, it's really kind of the, the first time that she's laid it all out in that way that she's, she's heard herself say these, these, you know, these yeah. parts of the mission. 
And there's a lot. I won't tell you everything, but this is actually a very cool chapter to look at and to follow along with us if you're not. And again, you know, Van Coley is like, you know, Halstead, Halstead, but she's like, no, that's not going to work. And he's, what about President Jarrett? And she's just like, what about him? Mm-hmm. You know, he's dangerous. She sees his, his um, that he is dangerous, but she's also like, he's also temporary in her mind. Like he doesn't get to be the president forever. Yes. And it's also remembering the dove tree. And she's like, I don't want to remember the dove trees. I, you know, that, you know, that was horrible. And then also to remember the senator, the Senate candidate that Mark mentioned. And if you all remember, this is the person that actually used Earthseed, right. right, to make his points about Christianity and called Earthseed a cult. Um, all of these things are going on. This is a really, really incredible conversation. And if you've been following along, if you've read like Parable of the Sower and you've, you know, Van Coley and Lauren have some incredible conversations in that book. So you just consider this ongoing dialogue. Um, and Ben Cole mm-hmm. is really trying, trying to get it. He right. He's really, <laughs> he he's really trying to. Yeah. Bless his heart. He wants to know. He's and like, he says, I, I don't know. know if this country has ever had a leader as bad as Jared or as bad as Jared might turn out to be. So he, he just he's really like, I just want to understand it. And um, Ben Coley is on the side of Lauren's father with a space program. You know, Lauren, um, also, if you remember from Parable of the Sower, was devastated yeah. with the ending of the space program. But Lauren's father and Ben Cole both are like, that was a waste of money. Like, so much is going on right here on Earth. And she is like, absolutely, it's not. You know, we need this. And she also goes into why we have a destiny. Yeah. Like, the destiny, why we have something um, yes. for for people to believe in a transportation beyond what they know so that they will will keep reaching for the next steps. They will keep involving themselves in, in yes. their lives and in their work. You know, so it is a deep and 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 heavy conversation. It's literally the rest of the, the chapter. Another issue that comes up is like the understanding of life and death. And he challenges Lauren that, like, you might not even be yeah. alive when, you know, all of this, like, going to space stuff happens. And and then she's, like, you know, kind of thinking about it. And then she's like, well, maybe maybe then Larkin, you know, will be the future of it. And Van, Van Coley's yeah. like, I know I'm not going to be here because he's already an elder. So yeah. this becomes... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like I'm I mean he's in his 60s now so he really is like I'm not going to see this. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do this dream with you. I'm not going to see it. This is a very tender and special tender. conversation. He's holding her hand. Um he puts his arm around her. This is a a love-based conversation. Mm-hmm. Um it is very serious and um yeah. And it's very it's very real. You know, and at some point she's overcome with the the emotion of it because she has she has again never done this before she has never just released yeah. all that she wants you know she's been writing in her journal and she's been in her head and she's never hurt herself and it brings yeah. her to tears and she's trembling and she's unsettled and he kind of says welcome to adulthood girl and 
It's kind of a cool moment because I don't yes. know if you remember Adrian early in uh, Parable of the Sower. You know, Lauren's 15 years old and you're like, she's the kid that does adult things. She's the kid that is adulting yes. already, you know, with her skill set and the yes. and the way she, she senses yes. herself taking responsibility. So this is an after everything that happens, this is like a powerful moment where he's kind of like, OK, now you're you're grown. You're a grown person now. Exactly. Even though I think he doesn't believe all of the things, their relationship is he respects her, he loves her, and he sees her growth. And it's a it's a powerful moment inside of her vulnerability. Yes. He actually is like, you know, welcome. You you are you are doing your thing. Yes. Um so she she has this good cry. She said kind of wonders if this is some kind of postpartum situation and he says well it could be um but it doesn't matter but now bancole um declares it's like the reset if if i stay if we stay here if i agree that you and larkin and i are going to stay here this place is not going to be just one more squatter's shanty like he now wants to impact no the kind of world he wants his child um, to grow up in. And he says, uh, she says, you know, they have this kind of analogy around building the house. And, you know, she's, I helped you build a house and I helped you, you know, come into this place and there's so much work to do type of thing. And um, the having the child really at this point, with all of the danger from the last chapter still very present and around them and the loss. They are, Ben Coley is very clear. It's almost like, you know, going back to, you know, before all of this happened. Like if you could picture Ben Coley as a young man before everything and he had a child with his first wife, you know, what kind of world he would want his child to be in. And because they're yes. in this kind of stability, rough stability of acorn and earth seed, he's like, okay, now you're not going to let me go to Halstead. Okay, this is what I need in order to buy into this and in order to stay with you through this journey. If I accept this, I'm in it for good. If you change your mind um, after a few, <laughs> if you if you change your mind after a few hard times. And uh, do I tend to do that, babe? <laughs> Am I like that? I mean, like, this is the kind of dialogue that they're in. Like, <laughs> do I be changing my mind? Am I like this? Um, He's like, talk yeah. to me, Annie. <laughs> so it's a very deep mm-hmm. dive conversation. And I consider it kind of the the reset for their next mm-hmm. steps forward. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for that beautiful summary. Um, I love... I love the intimacy mm. of this chapter. Um, and it feels like one of these chapters that's like, okay, some room to see ritual, feel ritual, feel what the community is like, feel what Lauren is actually like as an emotional being. And um, so there's a lot of questions just around ritual and family and intimacy here um, to sit with. So the first question, though, is about acorn. Um And it's one that I always have when I read it. Larkin is noticing the physical exertion, the level of physical exertion that it took to be a part of 
acorn and is like, you know, why did so many people stay? Um, And to me, it's always this moment of like, oh, you don't see that that's the testimony of what Lauren was offering them, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. how Ursid felt to them um, is reflected in the fact that so many stayed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the question I have here is, do you, do you, or could you be a part of a community that required a high level of physical exertion? Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm like, uh, I used to really dream that <laughs> like hands in the dirt, building houses and stuff. Um, and now I'm just sort of like, Hmm, I'll read stories to the kids over here while y'all do that or whatever else, <laughs> but really having that, that thought of these lives in the apocalypse and Physical exertion can happen at all different levels of ability, um, but is it interesting to you? And the question, uh, the could you part of that question is, is also tied to what vision would compel you enough to to be a part of a community where physical exertion was a key part of being in it? The second question I have is communities in Lauren's vision for this work. She really feels like communities, Ursi communities, need to be capped at a thousand people per community in order for there to still be accountability. And again, rereading this now in this moment, I'm like, so I've always been so into that. <laughs> you know, it's like a huge part of the emergent strategy concept is the small is all, and how do we actually get good at community that is at the level of relationship, at the level at which we can actually hold relationships. Mm. So, a question I have for our listeners is, do you think that scaling up makes accountability less possible? Do you think it makes it impossible? Um, and if it was up to you, what is the number? What do you feel like is the ideal number at which accountability is still possible within a community? I This is another one that I'd love to see and hear that people explore with others, um, with people that you're in community with. I think there's some sub questions in here, like, what is what does accountability mean to you? What does it mean to be able to be accountable to each other? Um, I also, I'm like a thousand is actually kind of a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I could definitely see you know a much smaller community. This whenever we get to this section, I realized that I was like, oh, I was still thinking of this as like fifteen twenty people, and um, but I'm like it, it's necessarily larger than that. You know, it's had such a larger impact. But I love being like, oh, these are the scales at which Lauren is visioning. Do you have a sense, Toshi? What what's the ideal amount of people in your like dream world? Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really don't know if I was was planning one. It would have to do with the system we actually had available. I mm-hmm. I I feel like I was at like a TED Women's Conference and this family of doctors, like uh, I think a woman and her daughters, they all became doctors. And and this is uh, somewhere in a country in Africa. And so they, they basically set up clinic slash hospitals, like the only place you could kind of go and get care. And then I think they, because yep. so many people were coming, they, they it, it ends up being like, you know, a small town gathering because so many people come to be close to them and then they i think they end up having to make like a jail (laughs) something uh i hope i'm not getting this wrong but because it's it's, yeah but it's like very you know they have these rules and the rules was i can't feel like you can't steal and you can't beat you can't beat anybody 
And mm-hmm. so those are the things that would mm-hmm. get you like a timeout or get you kicked out of the, the whole thing. And so I feel like it's always about space and infrastructure and what mm-hmm. agreements you can make and actually function uh, out of. Uh, mm-hmm. I've also, yeah. you know, so I don't, I think it's based on that. I've been to several, like I played at several folk festivals or fast music festivals. And it's a huge like volunteer staff at the festivals that usually yeah. show up and live. And then, and it's the same thing. How much space do we have for people? And then will people agree to a certain way of living? And then it, and that usually sets like the boundaries of how many can participate. The norms. Yeah. Yeah. I think the same, like I've been to lots of movement gatherings and encampments and, you know, I think, I think I've seen it really done beautifully at 65 people. I've seen a beautiful 300. I've seen a beautiful couple thousand. I think there is, you know, the my, the pleasure activist in me is like, yeah, I mean, there has to be enough that there can be like a diversity of desires and and that there's enough people to meet each other and, and like please each other and, and pair and be, you know, amorous in some ways and mm. to recreate, you know, proliferate without having those lines get all crossed and mixy mixy. <laughs> um, so I think there's something really interesting there, but I, I think about this one a lot actually is like, what does it look like to move towards a future in which we have smaller, accountable, mm-hmm. self-responsive community structures? And I think it's one that we should all just be thinking about because I think we we have at least some awareness. Most of us have some awareness that our current political project is of the U.S. is too massive. Like it, there's yeah. not a there's not a like centrifugal force, you know. Um. Yeah, so spend some time there. And and then I'm like, welcome, Larkin. It's nice <laughs> to be able to say your name. <laughs> um, and one of your names, anyway. And um, I found it really curious um, that Larkin continues the lineage birthday um, mm-hmm. piece where she is like Lauren's dad and Lauren and Larkin now all have the same birthday, yeah. which is very rare. I've never actually heard of that happening in I've heard of um, a child being born on its parents' birthday, but not a multiple, multiple direct lineage like this. And I think it's an interesting choice that Octavia was making. And I would love for you all to reflect on why do you think um, it was important to her to do this? Why was it so important to have this July 20th moment as the entry for all of these very divergent lives? Mm-hmm. Um, and Around Larkin's birth, uh, two other questions, or three other questions. One, what are your birth rituals? What are your rituals for yourself when you hear that a child has has come into your community, into your neighborhood, into your family? Do you have collective rituals around birth? What are they? How do you welcome someone in? And then who is in your change family? Do you have um, lineage that you could now point to and be like, oh, this is my change aunt. This is my change uncle. Like these are the people mm. maybe related, maybe not related, often not related, who have cultivated my capacity for change and who have cultivated the, like, how do I be in right relationship with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a question I, I did have for you, Toshi. It's like, could you think of anyone in your life that would that you would identify that way? That's like, oh, 
Oh, this is a change relative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have so many relatives aren't related by blood, you know, but related by all of the other things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we just call each other siblings. I got yes. a lot. I got a lot of moms, you know, and I feel really strongly about those relationships. They're, they're as important as yes. any. I'm very dedicated to these people and um, and I feel I belong to them. So they belong to me in terms of yeah. the way you care about people, you concern about people, you check up on people, you, you know, you're there for people. And lots of babies I would drop yeah. everything for. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel similarly that I have so many people that I would point to and say, these are my change siblings. And mm. um, some of them are like peers, you know, on my, where I'm just like, oh, yeah, I think of you as a change sibling in my life. You know, that, right. and I'm like, yeah, this is a part of how I learned to be in my relationship with change is in my relationship with you. Um, I think of Malkia as a change sibling for me. Yes. Um, I think of Ill as a change sibling. And, yeah, and then I think about these people who were older and I've named one of them, my aunt Margaret, I named her in pleasure activism that she was someone who was like one of my mom's best friends, but she modeled for me what it looked like to be really just over the top, fantastic, happy style fashion, mm. just like say what is true and, you know, make it look good. And yes, you can use all the colors and like, you know, your socks are part of your fashion. Like every, you know, they're just like, she, she kind of gave me so much permission to live into a more bombastic um, self than I necessarily would have. Mm. And I get so excited about those people and how their imprints show up on our lives, which leads me into my next question. Um, Bancole looks at Larkin and sees his dead sister's face mm -hmm. in her face. And I always think this is one of the most sacred parts of birth stories um, is, you know, that moment when children are newborn and young and you're just like, oh, look, there's grandma so-and-so like there's, you know, like you can just see all these faces in their faces. Yeah. So my question for you is whose faces are in your face? <laughs> Right. Whose whose ancestral faces are you told are in your face? Um, I'm often told that my grandmother's face is in my face and she's someone who my memory of is much more a felt memory. Like I remember mm. how it felt to be hugged by her more than I remember what it was to look upon her. But I, I always feel comforted to know her face is alive in mine. So asking yourself those questions. The last questions are about this intimate moment between Lauren and Bancole. And I thought this was one of the most tender things Octavia ever wrote, this, this chapter um, and this experience the, between the two of them. And I, I probably am projecting here, but there was a way that what I felt in it was a longing that maybe Octavia had to be seen and held in her big vision and really met there mm. and, and have someone be like, yes, I can hold you. I can hold you in what feels like you know and don't know. <laughs> and the reason I think I feel that way is I, I think this is the longing that visionaries have in general is like, I see something beyond this moment. And it's often very lonely 
to have that experience of like, I see something else. I feel something else. I feel something calling me. And I don't know if I'm up for the task. I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I feel it. And I, I am, I have to give myself to it. And I remember being young and not realizing that not everyone has that. Like mm. not everyone feels that uh, uh, disturbance in the force. <laughs> you know, that's just like, oh, we got to get somewhere else other than this. And, and I'm supposed to be a part of that. And I think right now we live in a moment where there's so many visionaries walking and sharing and speaking and dreaming and writing. And um, it just feels like a really thick time of visionaries. So some questions for all of our listeners, because I think visionary people are drawn into our listenership. That's right. <laughs> Is are you actually comfortable sharing your deepest vision with people? Are you comfortable sharing your deepest vision with people? I'm really moved by the fact that they have now been together for over five years, right? Like they're like seven years now or something that they've been walking together, traveling together, learning together. Mm -hmm. And, and this is the first time that she's gone this deep in sharing yeah. what she's actually up to with her partner. And I think that happens all the time. <laughs> I think a lot of us, um, you know, do that. And are you comfortable sharing it? Who do you share it with? Part of Lauren's vision is to build beyond um, believers or seed believers, you know, to, to have this sort of missionary relationship in non-earth seed communities. And can you imagine your vision moving out into spaces beyond movement, beyond those who necessarily agree with you or could, could have overlap with you? And then what is the most intimate self you have shown to another? Mm. There is a particular aspect of the intimacy of this moment, which is that it's actually quite tender what happens for Bancole here, where he's like, having heard you, I'm, I realize that I could start to co-create and here's what yes. I would want, which is a, it's a very, it's a, it's a really powerful transition. And it's really the transition that Lauren is looking for in each person who embraces Earthseed is I am a shaper now. I want to shape change rather than, right? Like Halstead represents going towards something that is already structured and already exists and is of the old world, but is steady and stable mm -hmm. and like we could be safe there. And acorn represents the new, the next, the unknown, the thing that we will shape together. And this is really that moment of Bancoli, I want you here with me shaping the unknown. And Bancoli saying, I will be here with you shaping the unknown, but I will be myself in that, yes. which means I want to bring those aspects of the known that, that make the most sense to me into this space. So it's incredibly intimate. They're talking about their deepest beliefs and they're making really another level of commitment this deep into their relationship, right? This is like, we're really in, uh, which is also, I think, a beautiful dance that humans do. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. are we really here? How do we know? Are we really in? How do we know? Um, are we visioning together and building something together? So the question I have mm. for our listeners is, what is the most intimate self you have shown another? And are you making commitments that are rooted in your deep vision? Are you making commitments that are rooted in your shaper self? Are you making commitments that allow your full, real, honest self to be seen and met and held in your tears and held in your doubts and still be able to continue on? 
I know I am. (laughs) And I'm like, I highly recommend 10 out of 10 would recommend. But I actually think we need to set that as more of a norm, like to throw out all the Cosmo magazines and be like, how do we develop that level of intimacy, visionary intimacy? It's so interesting. Anything you want to say on that, Toshi? Yeah, I do. Um, Yeah. Because they've had this (laughs) conversation, they've had the conversation throughout since, since Ben Coley got, you know, the offer to move to, you know, go to this other community and not, not just the two of them, but Matt then everybody and Acorn, you know, finds out about it and she has conversations and she's just been like, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going, you know, so it, it hasn't been like this great conversation so far. It's been like, and yeah. then, and it yeah. even gets this level of tediousness. Oh, he's bringing this up again and, you know, nothing has changed yeah. for me. But something about the arrival of of Larkin has widened both of them. It's like they're, you know, he approaches it differently. You know, he's he's like, you know, he's like, and I think they both are. But it's interesting how he's like, I I have dreams for my kid, and I'm not going to be here to see yes. them. And so I want yes. this kind of life and that kind of yeah. life, and I want it to look like this. They both get to this point where it's like, am I going to be alive to see something realized? And it's for her, it's the realization of, you know, the destiny of Earthseed. And then she's like, well, Larkin can't, you know, like it's just such an interesting spectrum of possibility and positioning of this new of this new person that's just arrived to help them kind of exactly, you know, reach a level of communication that they they really needed to have. And then, and but the other thing, I, I have two things to say about this this um, this chapter too is mm-hmm. is the whole is um, the whole missionary thing. I, it just is so interesting to me, and also oh, like this yeah. the, the <laughs> language of, of missionaries, <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, and how she is like you know somebody you know we have to have people go out and yeah infiltrate communities that are not. You know, I mean, she didn't say the word infiltrate, but I'm going to say it. In- infiltrate communities that are yeah. not. Yeah, say it. Yeah, they are not earthy communities and kind of start to get the people to, to, you know, to get to get on over. And I was just like, oh, really? <laughs> Doing that? <laughs> you know, so that. that- now, one of the questions I had jotted down here was like, does the missionary language shut you down? Yes. In terms of this, and why is Lauren so obsessed with growth? Yeah. Um, do you understand strategically why she's so concerned with growth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it was interesting because we all are like the world should be better. The world needs to be better. Humans need to be better on the planet. Mm-hmm. And in and we and there have been you know better communities, right? Like there have been communities that are like, I mean, you know, you could take Black Wall Street in Tulsa. You know, this is a community of people who are like, we, we, there's hardships and everything, but what if we, as a collective, you know, just make our own bank and make our own school and make our own library and make our own blah, blah, blah. And we'll just exist over here. And we, you know, we're not going to be bothering nobody, like leave us alone. And, you know, and then you can see like, you can't be close to people who are only interested in your, your labor as like not a fair, you know, not a fair collaboration, but like what you can do for them across the spectrum of greed and violence. 
and are only concerned with their supremacy, you know, to whatever you're doing. So the second you flourish like an inch of happiness that they can't access themselves, you're, you're in danger. You know, the second that you have on something that they can't or that they might have, but you shouldn't have, you're in danger. So, you know, Lauren is like, it's not going to be good enough to have like a small, some, these small communities because we live in a world that's, uh, you know, where there's too many humans in power who are against us, even if we stay contained in our communities and never wanted to, you know, disrupt exactly. their systems. So I think she's like, no, it's, it's yeah. got to be huge. Like we got to get everywhere, you know, like we, we do have exactly. to use this, you know, old dominating system of, <laughs> you know, we have to, because we have to, we have to going make going out. Yeah. Yeah. But the, and then the other part was that from the chapter before, when she has the conversation with Mark and she tells him, you got a position of privilege. We talked about this in the last episode, but one thing we didn't talk yeah. about is where she says, you, you would have been expelled for teaching another belief system. And I think that yes. is such, you know, that's such an interesting thing to bring into this conversation. I'm just wondering about her cycle of growth as she starts to think about expanding, as she starts to think about the destiny, as she starts yeah. to think about evolution and as her fear of someone else powerful who has a difference mm-hmm. of opinion from her and a different belief system as her fear arises, can yep. that can that person even exist inside of the circles that she's trying to cultivate? Oh, I mean, I love, I love that question, and it's, you know, I realize that I always um, put this gentle veneer or this gentle cover on Lauren through these parts, right? As I feel protective of her, but I'm like, oh yeah, like she was really struggling with this idea of how to deal with difference, mm-hmm. how to deal with different opinions. And and I don't know that it was unwise to do so, right? That I think so often we create spaces and then immediately like, and everyone can come bring something into the space when it's like, oh, a lot of those somethings are mm. maybe not compatible with this belief system. You know, like what she peeped in Marcus is like, what you're trying to bring is, is actually directly at odds with this vision, mm-hmm. the vision of this space. And that is the the thing about having a destiny that feels like it is from from beyond right. yourself. <laughs> you know? Where I'm like, oh, this isn't necessarily just purely exploration and learning and like let's figure out how to weave all this together into some holy federation or whatever. You know, she's like, no, 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 there's a specific destiny and we need as many people to understand yep. that as possible. And and right. So I think that piece is really fascinating. I'm also very interested in her assumption, which feels like a very old school traditional assumption that I, I'm surprised to see in her that Larkin yeah. would carry on her work. Yes. Right. That it's just like, oh, my child will do what I do, you know, which I'm like that. That's not, you know, even when Octavia was writing this, I'm like, that's not something that someone would necessarily assume for their child. And it's definitely something in the book that Lauren was like. I'm going counter to my parents, which is much more, um, that's that's the modern mm-hmm. practice of what it is to be 
that's what adulting looks like. It's like, oh, what are my parents doing? Let me head in the opposite direction from that or head in my own direction. Um, And Larkin, you know, obviously as we're reading this, already we know that her energy is at odds with Earthseed and that she doesn't look at it as something she understands necessarily or believes in. And we'll learn more about all that. But I, I, it's so tender to see this moment where she's like, it, she and Banquet, it's like, this is one of the few comforts we have is, well, maybe, yeah. maybe Larkin. Yeah. We'll it's, a, it's a really, um, it's such mm-hmm. a big conversation that pushes all of these buttons also because, you know, the whole birthday thing that they, they, they all have the same birthdays, it aligns with kind of this, now we can witness that there is this line of, you know, Olamina line of stubbornness. I think like they're so strong yes. in what they believe in and they are so protective of it and then (laughs) in order to navigate them around it it has to be an action like they have to see it and experience like lauren and lauren's obsessed with that you know she's obsessed with learning and seeing and experiencing and asking questions and right like she has a great practice so she she doesn't stay a thousand percent in her head and you know she gets taught she gets schooled you know she's interested in that but you know, Bancole starts to feel like the person that says, but what if we took a big leap and assumed yeah. like we're in the danger yes. that we feel, what would we do? What would, what would we do? What can exactly. we entertain what that might be? And all of this, I feel really grateful to see this foreshadowing this, um, asking these questions, he's having these conversations because I think often at some intuitive level, we know we're in danger before the danger shows itself. And I think for communities that have been like, we need to prepare, you know, there's like an intuitive knowing that we are in danger, even though, uh, even though the planet had not heated up, you know, but it's just like, oh, there's something's changing. Something's changing. We need to pay attention to it. And I think we're in that phase now where it's like, we are in crisis but we know that much larger crises are sitting on either side and ahead and behind us. And it's like, are we going to be able to evolve? Because we are in danger. There's people actively trying to attack us, dox us, come for us, destroy us in this moment. And are we preparing ourselves for that? Um, Which is part of adulting. And my final question actually for this chapter is, when did you know you were an adult? (laughs) When did you know you were an adult? When did you know he was grown? Um, mm. When did you know you were That's an adult? Great. What was the moment where you're like, holy mackerel. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that is chapter 10. Ooh. That is chapter 10. Uh, I thought of a change aunt. Yes. Change aunt. Shout May Francis, my mom's sister, my aunt. May Francis had um, cancer when I was really little. And back in the early days and her treatments um, paralyzed her and uh, she Uh became this like, you know, counselor and, 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 and helping people negotiate. But she told my mom one time about being gay and lesbian, which was the term at this time, because we're talking about like the the seventies. She was like, it's ridiculous that people are really concerned about this, that she has to teach people to navigate the their bodies and their sexuality beyond what people say accesses sexuality and what you need. She's like people's bodies are in all kinds of conditions and they reach for each other. 
And she's like, when you have to take that journey, you realize yes. how much of it is about the soul of the human, the spirit of the human, mm. the sensuality of the human, the, the whatever journeys people are willing to take with you or be vulnerable with you. And this whole idea of like a man and a woman need to be together with their full, fully accessible bodies is the limitations of, of experiences. She's like, it's just, it, it's, it's completely wrong. And the sooner people get over it, the better. So, Hello, hey, May Francis. And my arms. mother wrote a song about her sister called May Francis. So, really? <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. She oh, passed away. Um, it's a beautiful song. So, I yeah, maybe we'll put song. a link to it in the uh, in our notes. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do that. Thank you for for bringing Absolutely. her forward. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We are produced by Kat Aaron with help from Kenzie Clark. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. Music for Octavia's Parables. Uh, Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. God Has Changed, written by Toshi Regan, performed by Bernice Johnson Regan and Toshi Regan. And No One Can Tell You, written and performed by Toshi Regan. Find us on Twitter at Oparables. You can sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash oparables. And you can always visit readingoctavia.com for episodes and transcripts. Thank you so much for listening and reading along with us. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change.